I'm Doug Jones, and you have discovered Beyond Trek Podcast. Well, that's why I'm using the same background. I'm sure we'll see that shot again. And you guys have to excuse me. I like ran out of the van. I must have hit every red light trying to get here because as soon as I told you guys I was running late, it was the world was the universe was just like, all right, well, screw Big J. Here we go. Here's every red light. Yes. Yes. Well, and after I ate too much for Thanksgiving, I was in a coma for like a day. I do it every year. I do it every year. I say I'm not. I'm never eating again. And then it happens. You just gotta say pie for breakfast. That's what I do. Oh, I love pie for breakfast. Pie for breakfast? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some pecan pie with some ice cream. Uh, okay. I can do that. Oh, dag. The Vulcan ears. I love it. Well, and very fitting. Very fitting it, for, for this episode. It is a very special episode of Star Trek Discovery Unification Part Three. Uh, and if you're familiar with Star Trek, you'll know that there were two previous unifications in Star Trek The Next Generation that aired in November of 1991 about Spock defecting from the Federation to unite the Romulan and Vulcan people. Now, whether or not he officially left the Federation is uh, sort of tenuous. This episode makes a claim that isn't has never been supported before, but uh, let's tell him who we are. Okay, I'm and I got to silence my phone. I'm Big J, the rude one that forgot to put his phone on <laughs> on silent. I'm Renzo. And I'm Dag. And today we want to wish a very special birthday to Scarlett Palmers, a.k.a. Naomi Wildman from Star Trek Voyager. Happy birthday. That's her birthday? Oh, wow. It how, is her birthday. How old is she now? Do you 32. 30, oh, jeez, Louise. Doesn't that make you feel old? It does. Yeah. If if not for the gray in my goatee, I feel old, older, even now. So yeah. You, you know what I do when I get gray in my hair, Jay? Just What's shave that? it off. <laughs> I could do something a little less extreme, like diet or something, or just pluck diet the gray. Diet. <laughs> That's two big words there. <laughs> All right. Um. So. Spoiler. Spoiler. Alert. Spoiler. Alert. This episode kicks off with uh, Michael wandering the ship. She's sort of gripped in ennui, lamenting the consequences of her devotion from the last episode. She's feeling very distant from her crew and her former friends, and she even admits that she feels like Discovery is not her home anymore. And she wonders what that really means. If it's true, why am I here? Um, she goes to the shuttle bay, finds Book. They get romantic, which is very finally nice to see between them because it's like the a, a semi slow burn. Um, <laughs> you just have to assume the slow burn happened over a whole year, <laughs> a year right? Yeah. Um, after afterwards, um, Book admits that like living in the shuttle bay of the Federation isn't exactly a great long term plan. Michael thinks about Spock. Um, book suggests that both Michael and Spock had a Messiah complex, um, which Michael turns that around on book. I can buy that. Him saving the transform. Certainly fits for Spock. And it also fits for Cybok. Absolutely. Maybe it's Sarek's doing. Right. Yeah. Sarek <laughs> and his, his, uh, three children having this whole Messiah complex and, uh, 
uh, that, that's funny book complaining about being that shuttle. He's getting free, free room and board. It's like, you know, and probably meals. Wait, doesn't Just, everybody in Star Trek get free room and board and meals? Yeah, well, well, yes, in but previous Star Trek, not in 930 years in the future Star Trek. Right. Oh, okay. Where we're kind of in Charging Wild West territory again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I feel like, I don't know, like Michael is, I could see her leaving discovery at some point. Hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think I get that feeling too. If she's getting freed up to do section 31. That would be very interesting. Burnham, yeah. Or Starfleet. Burnham, Burnham, Giorgio and book. Like, it's cause the whole thing Ooh. in the last episode was like, Hey, I have this great idea where we can find out what happened to like literally everything we love and cherish. So it was like, no, you're not going to do that. And she's like, I am going to do that. <laughs> and so she goes and does that. And, um, and so she gets in huge trouble for it. And now the, this entire episode that this, uh, episode seven is spent like furthering her, her original, like the, the whole discovery crew is backing this theory of hers that the burn wasn't started on Vulcan or it had like a specific other unknown location of origin. And so it's weird that like, it was so like, you shouldn't be doing this, blah, 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 like last episode. And now the whole crew is just focused on this. Yeah, it's probably one of those situations where the data that she obtained managed to prove her point enough that enough that Saru and apparently Admiral Vance are like, you know what, we're doing this. This is this is legit. So it's it's just a matter of degrees, right? If Mm -hmm. you assert that something's true, but provide no proof, people can dismiss it without much work. Right. But once you've provided a good amount of evidence for it, then it becomes, you know, harder to just dismiss it offhand. So I think that that's essentially what happens with the call and cat, too. Well, and the other thing is, is that there's a degree of necessity here because uh, the only person who could get this crucial piece of data, the data on SB19, is Michael Burnham, which is basically walking ass backwards into luck that they have this person (laughs) there who, who is a relative to Spock and she's an asset now you have to utilize okay she got her reprimand about about the thing she got demoted now did she get demoted demoted like from commander to lieutenant commander or did she just lose her position position. okay so basically yes she got her reprimand she lost the first officer position let's move on you have some critical data we need to get we can't get it from the vulcans without you just go do the thing and I, i i agree with that they kirked her. <laughs> they kirked her. They they they, yeah. they they took away her pencil pushing needs and gave her the freedom to do what she needs to do. It's like just like they did in Star Trek Four. Yep. Yes, and it's not that she has a messiah complex. It's that the tr- the show treats her like a messiah. Right. Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking if she could if she could be a little meta for a moment. She's like, excuse me, main character. Shh. <laughs> yeah like, it's the, um, it, it got it got extremely meta like I the writing was, did there go the ahead, scene Audrey. at the beginning when, with vance right where they're just like talking about like 
well, Navar, and that's Vulcan for you people kind of thing, like for you and your kind known by its former name, right? Like that was delightful stuff for me. And then the Romulans, I thought they were the enemies in our time. They, they didn't know at the time. Yeah. The same. All that was great to me, right? What I did find really funny, though, was the moment where Vance does his like dramatic heel turn, like, but Michael Burnham's Spock's sister kind of thing. Like it's oh, yeah, that yes. moment in Knives Out where it snaps and people like turn around. <laughs> that's where it happens. A little overacted, but I still enjoyed the hell. Yeah, it was, it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> I still think I still think Vance is has some kind of agenda in play here to be about facing so many times with Discovery. I mean, it's a great opportunity for him and maybe a little bit of hope and maybe he's buying into it. But that scene with Tilly that followed up where Tilly, Michael goes to see Tilly and, um, you know, they have a little heart moment where Tilly's like, you put me in a bad spot. And, and Michael's like, yeah, I know. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to do this to you. And Tilly, Tilly asserted her boundaries. Like, no, it's my choice. You tell me and I get to decide what it does to me. And I thought that was really cool. Cause like, I'm on a boundaries kick right now. Um, but Michael's Isn't still unapologetic. Is it really a boundary to say you des- I deserve this information? Don't well, decide what's good for me. Be honest with me as your friend, I think, is more acro- more like what she was trying to get across. Right. The same yeah. thing Vance said to Saru in the last episode. Don't make decisions for me. Give me the information. Let me decide. I think Billy's kind of saying the same thing. I think it's, yeah, in the context of Tilly and Michael, that was a very friendship moment. It was like, I know you're the XO and you're supposed to like do these things, but you got your, you got your butt kicked down from XO for doing it. So like the next time you think about doing that, don't put me in that spot. Right. Um, and they're, they're friends and roommates. So, right. you know, yeah. I love what she says at the end of the episode. It's so great. Right. Um, yeah. So Michael remains unapologetic about her actions. Like she is so convicted that knowing the source of the burn will help save the Federation, which I don't disagree with immediately. Um, the commuter chimes, it signals the completion of the analysis on the third black box. We find out that all three black boxes do have different timestamps in the millionths of seconds. I think it was one millionth and seven millionths of a second across yes. several thousand light years. But Tilly reminds us it's it's significant, but it's only a 2D you know cross-section of the bird. We need more data points. And suddenly Michael just is like, well, what about this project SB19? There's like a thousand data points here. It's like, how, why, why did we spend the last episode doing what we did if we knew about SB19 and we didn't pursue that instead? Well, maybe, yeah, maybe didn't, it didn't come up until they were doing what they were doing. And then this info is, is presented, which that was a little strange to me. If, if this information was so, guarded and and well okay so it was so guarded and secret that it was only known that there was some project or some file called sb19 but then it was highly classified and that may not have been information that they came across until they were doing the thing they were they were doing well think about it the same way we thought about genesis right we ended up with a report, a basic briefing that was recorded by the original scientists and then re-recorded by the Admiral who authorized it, but no data on the actual scientific project, how it was done, how it worked, that it used protomatter, nothing of that was on there. And yet the only people who knew it were the scientists that worked it. So yes. something similar for SB19, even if even if SB19 is a lot bigger, right? They know what it is, mm-hmm. they know the basics of what it's trying to do, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Vance showed that little animation, but they don't know the details and they don't have control over it. So they got to go to the original scientists who left it in the Balkan hands. Yep. Uh, something to point out in this scene before we move on, there was a really cool uh, honorific for Anton Yelchin, uh, the actor yeah. for Chekhov who died. One of the ships that they had the the black box for was the USS Yelchin. Yes. So it's good that they uh, did that. Um, the other ship was the USS uh, Giacconi, which is named after in a uh, real-world astrophysicist who worked on uh, lensing of quant- quantum lensing. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was the Gavnor, which we don't know if it was a Federation ship or not, but that one's name, we just don't know. The Gavnor could have been a reference to Telluride Ambassador Gav from TOS Journey to Babel. Or um, uh, there was a Klingon ship uh, that had Gav in the title of it as well. Okay. What I what I really like in the next scene is because you know, Tilly's like, "Hey, the Admiral might know about SB nineteen, so go talk to him." Uh, Saru and Michael go to Vance, uh, who says, um, "You know, SB nineteen was a project from Navarre." You would have noted in your time as Vulcan, and I want to I, I want to do like a shout out on Navarre because it's really cool. Navarre was a Vulcan word that came that, that a linguist coined in 1967 for a uh, fanfic magazine. Get out of here! Really, 1967. It's Jeez. been 53 years, and um, they've ad- they've done a couple of in-universe Navarre references. Most recently on Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the Navarre was a Vulcan. Uh, ship. So, yes. Okay. Cool. When I heard the name Navarre, I thought, okay, hold on a minute. This sounds familiar. I've heard this somewhere. And the yeah. word Navarre means to form. Like okay. Two, two things coming together. So um, nice, nice double entendre there. Total great reference. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. perfect. Um, Michael and Michael and Vance sort of exchange like, whoa, the Romulans, and we we learn about the whole Romulan history that we already know about because we're the audience and we saw it happen. Um, And we learn that the Romulans and the Vulcans live together and they're not part of the Federation. That must have been the Romulans. Actually, it was the Vulcans because SB-19 and SB-19, we learn, is a transportation project that was supposed to help ships travel thousands of light years in an instant. Um, They came to the Federation with some concerns. The Federation overrode those concerns and said, no, do it anyway. And so Michael's like, they think they caused the burn. And Vance is like, no, they think the Federation ordered them to cause the burn. So this whole planet has been living with this guilt of why didn't we speak up earlier? In addition to all of their other fractured policies and agendas that we will learn about throughout this episode. Brilliant premise in my part. Now, the, the way I took it was they were doing this research they discovered that there were, like you said, there were concerns, but the Federation ordered them to continue their research, continue moving forward because it was the only promising alternative. And then they, they believed that the burn was accidental and they thought they caused it. Uh, but this information that they have apparently is supposed to be so politically um, you know, uh, sensitive. just sensitive that I would think, okay, well, if you think that you caused it, but you didn't, then what, what's the, what's the balance there proving your innocence or is the information more damning than you just taking the fall for it? And you're absolutely summarizing the debate the quorum has mm-hmm. during the, uh, the, I don't remember the name of the ritual, but during that, thank you. Um, 
which we learn is some new Vulcan Science Institute tradition that cannot be denied. Um, but yeah, Jay, you you summarized the positions of the three members of that quorum fairly well. That Romulan spells it out. He's like, hey, if we're not responsible for this, we should know about it. And the Vulcan's like, hey, uh, we probably should figure this out better. And then the other Romulan is like, whoa, 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 I'm going to play the middle. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it was a little bit different than that. Uh, generally, you got the, the Romulan's opinion perfect. I think the Vulcan was more like, this is settled stuff. We need to bury this. This is stuff that we should be repressing, like we repress our emotions. Let's leave behind and move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the middle lady, uh, the Romulan Vulcan middle, uh, she, she was, she, Shira, yes. She was saying that we need to understand the current situation better before we decide either way. She was just playing the middle, the fence. So. Now it was, uh, you said the Vulcans were the ones that made the, it was the Vulcan side that made the decision to leave the Federation. Now, were the Romulans, I I may have heard heard it wrong or missed it, but did the Romulans kind of get grandfathered in uh, to the Federation because they all moved to Vulcan? And didn't I, wasn't it said that the Romulans wanted to stay in the Federation? Yes. I would imagine that they do because like in this universe, the Romulans had their planet destroyed. And mm-hmm. so they were scattered to the wind for a while. And so uh, the idea of reunification probably sounded pretty nice to them. <laughs> when you don't have a home, and you're, you're staying outside a house with your bags packed. Like, yeah. uh, oh. so you remember yeah. when you were talking about uh, moving in together? The closest <laughs> analogy we could think of right now would be, let's say the United States became a nuclear wasteland. And every American moved from America with 330 million people back to Great Britain, right? Like there are more Americans than there are Brits, just like there are more Romulans than there are Vulcans, right? Mm -hmm. But now you're having to deal with being on the turf, the planet of the originating people. And the Vulcans were very gracious, I think, letting them come. The unification happened, but it probably happened under a Vulcan banner, not a mixed banner at that point. And then afterwards, they settled on coming up with Navarre and all these accommodations Mm -hmm. and having like territory that is for Romulans on Vulcan. But here's the real question for me. What happened to the Remans? Yeah. Why do we... And it worth of them too. Why do I need to know? Well, but, well, but because there is much descendants of Serac as the Romulans. The, all I know these I'm other, joking. I'm just saying the writing should have told us. Right. Here, here's, and here's my, my gripe with that, Renzo, is between Picard and this episode, especially if we look at uh, uh, Picard and especially this season of Discovery as a whole, there are so many good and deep references that are being made to things, uh, even in lower decks. So you can't tell me that they're digging out some of these, some of these uh, deeply buried references or ones that are ob- obscure, some that are known, but that they're completely avoiding one that's very obvious. Like that, that's not that's not a hidden thing. R- Remans were the big part of Star Trek Nemesis. They made an appearance in. Uh, episode of Enterprise. It was the, it was a three parter that had to deal with that um, that remote controlled the yeah, um, VR Romulan ship. Uh, so I I don't know I don't know the reason why 
Riemann seemed to be getting ignored because you're right. There was, you know, plan full of them too. And, and Aha. Would, the Orions helped the Riemanns escape and the Riemanns caused the burn out of jealousy because the Romulans and the Vulcans got back together and they ditched their Riemann bros. Oh, that's dirty. We're well, going to learn about that next episode. The, the reason I asked about the, the Romulans wanting to stay is because Nacho and I were talking about that. And, um, I said, no, it was the Romulans that wanted to stay in the Federation. And he asked me, well, why would they even want to be in the Federation or, or stay? Because they didn't help them when their planet was going to be destroyed. And I told him, okay, well, here's the thing. It's been over 900 years. And also they found out that it was actually one of their own people that, that was in the, uh, in the Quat Malat. Uh, we're talking about Commodore O that caused that whole thing and, and caused them to lose the whole rescue fleet. Now, granted, they might've had a beef with Starfleet not trying again, but that's kind of splitting hairs. Like, okay, yes, you tried, you had your rescue fleet wiped out, but then you didn't try again. I would have to say that considering the fact that it was one of their own people, the, once they found out it was one of their own people, I'm not sure they're gonna hold hold on to that grudge of uh, the, the Federation being the cause, at least not enough to keep them from never wanting to one, be in the Federation two, not want to leave it if they are in it. So that was, I mean, that was my thought on wonder. that. Let's just wonder here a little bit, right? Now we've got a, a Picard that he's not really immortal, but he's got a, a essentially a new lease on life after his experiences the first season of Picard. Mm -hmm. We know that he mind melded with Spock and he mind melded with Sarek, right? He's or Sarek rather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the second time I flipped them. And Sarek, and they are both people whom he valued, like his friendship, right? Like those are memories that he cherished, right? Yes. Uh -huh. And he knows that the Romulan people are struggling and he cares about them deeply. He could dedicate the entire rest of his life to helping the Romulans move out or move on from the loss of their home world. And maybe he's part of what triggers their moving into back to Vulcan, right? It takes centuries. And uh, yeah, I can totally see him being part of a catalyst. He could take up part of the mantle of Spock's work after Spock passes or goes to the Kelvin verse. So. Right, right. Uh, uh, missing, presumed dead kind of thing. And you're right. Picard very well may have picked up that mantle that was that was laid down by by Spock after his disappearance, which again, I was I was kind of curious as to why uh, the, the writers chose to have Vance uh, refer to Spock's disappearance actually as as Spock's death. No, because well, by his point, it's been a thousand years. years so. Right. Yeah. It's been a thousand years. I'm, I'm sure that, that Spock might is like a Jesus figure at this point. Right. Like he, it's been so long. He sacrificed yeah, himself so long. to save the Romulans. That's what everybody thinks. It didn't work because the Nova still hit Romulus, but he, mm -hmm. he, that was the plan was to, to save Romulus. And he died trying according to well, the timeline. And probably as, as far as they're concerned that, yeah, he probably did not, survive what whatever happened so whether it was missing or um, uh, declared dead okay yeah so i guess if you're missing after x amount of time you're just yeah you're, you're assumed and declared so i i get it i get it. And it, it it was not necessary to open that whole can of worms of referring to star trek 2009 they could have they were certainly well within their right to because it, yeah i i don't know oh well, whatever it was just a line it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's like a pa in passing, uh, 
that story is in the shadow you don't really get to see anything but it's kind of like you're hyper focused on the now but you we all know Uh, what was supposed to have happened so that's where uh the opening credits roll and we go right back into that moment where michael's like vulcan would never leave the federation it must have been the romulans and spock er, uh, vance is like uh no actually the romulans wanted to stay it was the vulcans that pulled out and that's you know Burnham whiplash moment number one. Um, <laughs> Say what? Well, I'm going to fix that. This is where we get some more detail. <laughs> I'm going to go back in time. It's going to happen on my She's watch. She's just like, I'm going to fix it. Uh, I'm going to fix all of this. I'm going to make it better. I'm like, Michael, chill. Burnham, sometimes you just need to listen <laughs> and stop fixing. Let it be. Be like Let your other be. brother, Cybox. Share your pain and gain strength from the sharing. No, no, no. We don't need more cults in this world. We've probably got plenty out there. Doomsday cults as a result of the burn have to exist everywhere. Yes. We're not going to talk um, about that uh, now. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Vance, Vance tells Saru and Michael about what SB-19 was. as a transportation project. The Vulcans were worried that, that it could be weaponized. They were going to stop all uh, research on it. The Federation said, no, you have to do this anyway. And that's why the Vulcans think that they caused, or that's why Michael says the Vulcans think they caused the burn, but Vance corrects her and says, no, the Vulcans think that the Federation forced them to cause the burn. Think about that kind of cultural guilt. Like that puts Catholic guilt to, to nothingness at that yeah, point, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's so an incredible present. amount yes. of guilt. Hey, you guys, we're going to force you to do this thing. And uh, you did the thing and then you destroyed the Federation. Right. <laughs> cool. It's no like, wonder like they don't not even like to be a part of it anymore. Right. It's the, it may not even be like we don't want to be a part of it. It's we're not worthy of being a part of it. We broke the federation. No, 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 no. It was, I don't think it's a self. I think it's more of like a righteous anger, like indignation. Right. Yeah. Like we knew this was happening. We knew that this was a risk. You forced us to do it. You're not good enough for us. I don't think it's a self-loathing kind of thing. I think it's more of like a. Like an indignation. I said it before. I, yeah. I took the self-loathing thing from a line the Romulan Quorum guy says, where he's like, you know, if we'd have learned about this sooner, it would have saved a lot of people a lot of suffering. And I took that sort of in a, I mean, sure, there might be one guy there who's like, I caused the burn, I caused the burn, I caused the burn, because Vulcans live for a really long time. There's probably a lot of scientists <laughs> from the SB19 who are still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's only been the you know, got kind of going angry well, the, on that one. The, the, the president of, of Navarre said that 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 was that was the final straw and so it it sounds like there were there were issues before that which we don't necessarily know but apparently there There were there was a dilithium scarcity that was plaguing the federation right well and the the thing that that i'm I'm curious about because you've dang i think i've heard you say this a couple times was that there's a belief that the federation ordered Vulcan or ordered Navarre to cause the burn. I I thought it was an it was an accident. It was an accident that the Vulcans thought they it were was, the yeah, it was totally a yeah, an accident. Nobody, like no one nobody, really knows at this point what the burn was what the, it was caused. The Federation by. certainly didn't tell them to cause didn't the burn. Didn't cause the burn, told them to play with SB19, and they think SB19 caused the burn. Right. So the Federation like ordered them to continue SB-19. So Vance says it very clearly. He says, they think we ordered them to cause the burn. We okay. didn't. And, but but they, when, they, when the Vulcans pulled out, they basically said, you guys ordered us to do this, and look what happened. F off. 
Right, right. Yeah, uh, I can I can see that they they split the hair on that and went with the you ordered us to do something that caused the burn. So basically you ordered us to cause the burn. Yeah. So Michael's like, okay. let's get the SB19 data. And no, you can't because they're not part of the Federation anymore. But wait, you're Spock's sister. We can just send an email to them and be like, hey, Michael Burnham's coming home. Yeah. <laughs> and, Michael Burnham is coming. Uh, right. Yeah. It's like, uh, all right. So no, this kidding. is like this is like Jesus's sister showing up out of nowhere and be like, wait, you weren't in the Bible. Um, so, I'm classified. My entire existence yeah, is classified. Yeah. No, what I've ever done is classified. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Jesus's sister just showed up out of nowhere, yeah, she'd probably get listened to. Um, so Michael tells, uh, tells Vance, you know, I just got demoted. I'm not the person to represent the Federation on this. And Vance is like, find a way and watch away. <laughs> um, Michael gets another soliloquy scene in which she remembers speaking to Spock uh, in the shuttle before, uh, before at the end of season two um, and, and tells him, you know, there's a whole universe of people that are going to reach out to you, let them. Uh, we flash back to him beaming off that shuttle and then to a moment in their childhood where they share uh, a high five. Mm -hmm. um, I was a little worried about that because I'm like, you know, before this, like Vulcan's touching hands, that was like intimate and okay, maybe there's different levels of intimacy. If you there, do the but. two fingers. Do the two fingers? Sisters, the two finger touch. Got it. Yes, yeah. that two finger touch that uh, we first saw with Sarah and Amanda in uh, Journey to, uh, to Babel, Babel, and then Star Trek Three with uh, Savage yes. and Spock. Okay. Yes, before they got it on. <sighs> um, <sighs> Burnham ends Sorry. up back in her quarters. She brings up a hollow of Spock. Uh, it's a scene from Unification uh, that talks about Spock's dedication to the cause. Um, it's taken from Admiral Jean-Luc's private collection, Jean-Luc Picard's. Um, one thing I noted here, and we talked about this in a couple of episodes, like two episodes ago, we had a tricorder with Delta branding. One episode, we had pajamas with Delta branding. This episode, we have holographic play buttons. And if there was a perfect opportunity for Delta branding, you could have had a Delta to the left and a Delta to the right and a Delta for fast forwarding and a Delta for rewinding. And just you put the Deltas, come on, we're branding Deltas. They need to be everywhere. Missed their chance different, there. Different software designer made the uh, made the interface. Fire that guy. We need more deltas. Um, well, if, if she would have played more of the video, we would have saw an advertisement for Starfleet, like YouTube ads. <laughs> oh yeah. Join Starfleet. We caused the bird. Um, <laughs> See, like not more? the galaxy, but nearby you instead. <laughs> <laughs> and if you see a weird distortion in space that's kind of like starry that's just a starry distortion it's definitely not one of our secret bases yeah <laughs> don't start please um no but seriously it's actually really funny a thousand years later the play buttons are still the same on a starship hey, uh, no i mean it it works that's what it is there's no reason to, <laughs> why reinvent the wheel uh, Book comes into the Burnham's quarters. Burnham just talks about how cool Spock was. Uh, Book tells her that she and her brother, and by extension Starfleet, are chronic overachievers. Mm -hmm. uh, Burnham asks how she can do this mission. Book, Book says it's possible that a person with a problematic relationship with the future might be the best person for the job. He's he's right. He's right. Wah, 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 woo, woo. That's what that says to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that one, Watney. <laughs> Watney, who is criminally not impressed okay. with romance I could, at all. I could, I could say. Look, I actually like them together, but I think that it's a little, it's, 
there's nothing of value to the plot going on with the romance. And that's my biggest gripe. Like romance doesn't help the plot. Romance should be like a part of the story, not like something that you tack on. Well, but okay. I, I get what you're saying. However, the, the, the romance can't be what carries this season. I didn't or say that. The, the A plot. I know. I didn't, I didn't say, say you said that. I didn't say you said that. I'm just, I'm just saying that it, it, it can't, but it, it necessarily doesn't feel tacked on per se. I, it's, it's, it feels tacked on to me. Um, mm. That's just how I feel. It's not like, I don't look forward to scenes with them. Cause it's like the, it just feels very, Here's I don't know how to say it. Does it feel? Here's what's tacked on. Genuine? I don't know. It's well, like, oh, well, we left Ash in the last season. So now we have to have another romance for Michael. And here's this guy. <laughs> she has needs. Well, but they ha- they spent a year together. And so it, when, when you say tacked on, I think about Chakotay and Seven of Nine. That came out of freaking nowhere. That's tacked on. This, this at least had some some background to it. There, there was right. Some right. Past I guess the best thing I'm not saying I'm not suggesting that romance be like the A plot of Star Trek at all. Right. That's not Please what no. I'm saying. But I think that like with Balana and Tom, mm-hmm. it really contributed a lot to their own character growth. And yes. I don't necessarily feel like that happens with Michael. Right. Right. I, I yeah. With I get- Alana and Tom, we got we got that their intimate development in real time. With with Book and Michael, it's been a year and we didn't get to see that. You're right. right. It's and, been a year and, and you're telling me they didn't ho- and you tell me they didn't hook up at all. Oh, like, I totally think they hooked up. Now they make yeah, it sound like they, they didn't. No, but like that's what I'm saying is they make it seem like, oh no, they're on camera. Let's go ahead and rush this through. Like it doesn't <laughs> seem it's it's not fulfilling from a romantic perspective. Well, but Star Trek really isn't known for the romance. Name uh, a Star Trek show that has not had romance. Well, no, no, I meant they they all have romance. It's just it's one of those things that when you talk about tacked on, we're talking Worf and Troy series finale tacked on like, okay, there's, this is the end. There's nothing left to lose. Let's suddenly have them hook up together. Um, Michael has not had someone in her life that the writers have decided to write her romantically interested in like the first two seasons, there was Ash. And then she totally just said, fuck you i'm gonna go to the future <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then like but with with like like deanna and Riker, mm-hmm. like that we got to see a long-term thing yes. play out and that was really great because you get to see like they also have a friendship and everything and i just really don't feel like it's done well like sure okay. like i get it but it's not like the best to be fair the original series had seen. had single episode moments where a main member of the crew meets somebody falls in love decides they're going to leave the ship bad things happen they realize they're wrong they stay on the ship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. scotty has that Chekhov has that dax uh, has that well dax wasn't in the original series but you're right um, well no yeah and i mean that happens in tng too mm-hmm. like, right and ds9 time breaker had it happen multiple times in tng oh yes <laughs> 
Riker, like he makes it happen. I don't know what to Riker tell you. was lucky to get off that one planet because that doctor was like, I've always wanted to have sex with an alien. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just fetishized my main man that I fetishized. Right. I, I'm sorry to like kind of derail what we were talking about, but like. It, you sure it, did. I, I, you know, like if if romance is going to happen, I guess it's after I brought this up because I'm the girl in this mm-hmm. whole circle. But like, you know, <clears throat> if we're going to do it, make it good and it's just not good to me it's okay. not good i think part of the problem though is that whereas they had the the story between uh paris and Boana go on over the course of years both of them were main characters so you saw them every episode so they could have like a scene in the hallway where they just kind of go hey hey move on right mm-hmm. we have um ayala in, in in book on this show as a guest so he can't be in every episode he's not around every episode his he's off doing things with grudge so mm-hmm. we don't get those little yes. tiny scenes between two characters all the time yep. so yep. Just, don't i think when you have when you have the messiah main character and that is who she's like gonna be paired with it's gonna create this off balance feeling and it just doesn't feel mm-hmm. like something that's interesting well and plus you don't have 24 episode seasons where you have the allowance to have episodes to dedicate to that or those bottle episodes or like renzo said you you could have little hallway things or whatever it's 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 all compact it's tight not a moment can be Mm -hmm. frivolous and so yeah you you can't spend a lot of time on the romance you don't have the time in the story to do it Stamets and, and Culber, for example, are a, an, an ex, are an example of this being very well done to me. Over three because seasons, though. Over, over, right, three, over three, seasons. three seasons. But that's what I'm saying is like, sure, they that Michael has spent a lot of time with Book in the past, but now we get kind of like this weird tail end. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not, hopefully not tail end because that would be bad for her. But like, you know, like it just feels weird how they've well, done it let's let, let's give it another season or so i mean we don't know that that book is going to be one season and out very well could be but i would say let's totally let's give him a chance you know let's... he's a prime candidate for death early well, as we know early discovery death. discovery says any of the side characters that get focus episodes die yeah that's why i'm like, mm, like every, everyone is kind of like on edge right now as long as he doesn't put on a red shirt we gotta keep going we gotta yes, keep let's going go. but like because we have to get to the part where tilly we haven't even gotten to the trial yet oh my god we haven't even we gotten have to, to t- navarre yet <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's get it forward all right you guys um, brought it up or did i bring right. it up i don't know oh my god you rewind you i am not i'm not here for this conversation we're not going to blame anybody i love the discussion i love it don't let anybody tell you less and if you're watching or listening to us and you're like ah, oh, roll my eyes subscribe to us give us some money because we're paying you for entertainment uh <laughs> or, or something i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> anyway uh <laughs> season oh, uh, Doug, we got this Scene seven, uh, Tilly is in Saru's office. Saru tells her he wants her to be his acting. What the fuck? First of all. Her her mind explodes. So did mine. Um, She expressed a bunch of doubts uh, that she didn't complete command training. He reassures her that her experience traveling the future more than makes up for missing command training. Uh, He says he can trust Tilly. This kind of harkens back to uh, Far From Home, where he and Tilly go on their away mission. They encounter Zara and Philippa Giorgio saves the day. Um, 
she she asks if he's making this offer because she's qualified or compliant, and he says it's because it's the best uh, best option for the ship. Way to dodge the question. Uh, she, she, well, she punched him right in the solar plexus with that. It's the I right question, though. That was it the right is. question. It and he didn't answer right it. She deserves an answer. She does. I think he was probably so thrown off guard about that, and you can't tell me that in the back of his mind compared to Michael, that that's exactly what he was thinking. And honestly, well, what, if what Vance he was lets probably... it go through, there's a problem. What Vance should be doing here is you can't put an ensign there. Here, let me give you a qualified 32nd century commander to act as your first officer. Literally a perfect way to bridge the gap between right. the Discovery Crew's culture shock Yep. and the new federation that's yep. like the perfect well, solution but here, here's, yep. here's the thing there is there is nothing saying that uh, to be first officer you have to have the rank of commander correct when spock was first officer to kirk spock was lieutenant commander mm-hmm. he was lieutenant commander so he wasn't a full commander. oh no 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 yeah i'm yeah. not worried and about about the rank well, the character and the experience, the rank is less important to me. Right. But the, the thing is, and this was said, said later, is that she is the kind of person that the, the crew will follow her. That's the, I think that's the defining quality of a first officer is someone that the crew trusts. The first officer is that bridge between the captain and the crew. So you have to have somebody that is, uh, crew minded i was about to say likable maybe they don't they don't have to be but Riker was a great first officer because he was um at that level to where it's like the the crew could relate to him he, he was like you, you know how it is it's like your 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 vp is probably not as relatable or, or approachable but your manager is your 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 middle manager is and that's how I see the, the relationship between the captain, the first officer, and the crew. So the first officer doesn't necessarily have to be a commander. Uh, we are just in a situation where the person that seems like the best one on the ship that people would naturally go with and trust and work with is Tilly. Now, you're no, right. It's Vance Michael. She goes rogue. They followed Michael into a wormhole 930 years into the future, and she operated as a well-oiled machine. It makes me question Saru. Me too, honestly. I think Saru is showing his inexperience here. He absolutely is, and and it's making me really, really doubt his captainship because he's appointing a yes man for his XO, someone who's going to just do what he says. I mean, I don't think Tilly will do that, but I think he thinks Tilly will do that because of how she basically like told Mike next told him episode, Michael was wrong. Next episode, we're gonna have a situation where Saru can't be captain and Tilly has to take command. And she's gonna be challenged oh, and she's gonna be doubting, and then she's gonna find the inner strength and pull yeah. through it. Well, I think that's the next he, episode. But here, here's the thing: Saru went with the standard. Uh, the first officer is going to be the the commander, the person who's the next rank below me, and that and that's Michael. And she was first officer for, you know, six hours and goes rogue and gets herself in a lot of, a lot of trouble. She might not have had to go rogue if Saru had told Vance. Okay. Right. Right. But you know, the, the the shit has to roll downhill. And (laughs) because of that experience, 
I don't fault Saru for making first officers someone that would be more likely to listen and to follow orders and to um, have a rational head on top of their shoulders. See, that's the thing though, right? We see Saru is already being like a very much a lawful good character. He thinks within the rules. He doesn't think about bridging or the edges of those rules. He stays well within his line, right? Mm -hmm. What he needs is an exo that thinks differently. He doesn't need an exo that thinks the same as him until he has shown very little drive to think outside or beyond the rules. Well, I think very think much the middle lane. But again, he, he just got burned by having someone that so she was Nielsen. right. So pick Nielsen, who She's is the not third a main character. in command. But you She's can't. She's on Jeff the bridge. Nielsen is like the what, spore drive op yeah. officer. She um, <clears throat> she is third in command, as we see when both Burnham and Saru are off the bridge. She takes the hail as the third officer, third in command, with for when Grudge hails the bridge yeah um and so i think she's kind of like the perfect choice for this but instead the writers went in a completely different direction and chose again not to develop uh, someone on the bridge that uh I, we're not the only audience asking for more development of the bridge crew this is a great opportunity to develop like nielsen more or anybody else on the bridge but they chose tilly again who is like one of the most bright and well-rounded characters on the show right it just it just it, it, i don't get it from a perspective of in character from saru and i don't get it from a writing perspective either For, from the from the writing i actually get it more from the writing perspective than i do for the character perspective and the reason i say that is because i think i i know i have i don't know if any of you have but i have come to terms with the acceptance that it was it nielsen or nelson Nelson. 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 I've come to terms with Nelson, Bryce, Reese, and to another degree, uh, Detmer, Wissacon, Reno, um, uh, Colber. Well, maybe not Colber, but like th those five or six are just going to be consistent bridge characters. It's better than having uh, a random extra on the bridge each time like they did in TNG. I'm glad that there's consistency. We see them often. Uh, Linus, I forgot Linus. We see these characters often, but their purpose is not to be on the, the spotlight or to have uh, a lot of story or development about them. They are just there as, as that consistency. So I, I get it. I understand it. It's too late. I think, I think it's too late in the game to suddenly take one of the B characters and suddenly make them first officer because now you have to put some story time into this character that that's new story time well new scenes that that you don't you don't have time for because you've already got tilly you you're already going to be using that actor that actress and that character if you if you go with what would have made logical sense with nelson then you either a pretty much don't even show the first officer you're still with tilly and stamets and, and michael or b you start expending time on this this character just because you feel the obligation that you need to because now she's the first officer 
I, I really think that the, the only choice from a writing perspective was who out of the A group, which was is Michael Stamets, Tilly, and Culber, is going to be the first officer yeah, out of, that, out of I, the, the A team. Who's going to be? Well, and they've already did. Um, don't disagree Michael. with you. I think so, that this is all fallout from the choice of having a main character centric show. Had yes. they stuck with an ensemble like every other Star Trek had in the past, right. it would have been much easier to swap somebody in. That being said. I think Wani's completely right. I don't think this makes sense from a writing perspective. Like, in-universe, it doesn't make much sense. Even with the touching scene that we get at the end of the episode where it's like, say yes, cool. All of your friends are telling you to say yes, and they think you can handle it. Cool, that's supportive. We love that in Lower Decks. We'll love it here. It's mm -hmm. a very touching scene, right? But from Saru's perspective, it doesn't make sense. Right, it, right. It's, it's short-sighted. It gets him a yes man, like Watney said, and that's the dangerous bit. A captain needs to be challenged by their XO, right? And I don't think that Tilly's shown any inclination to challenge people ever. Yeah, I agree. And and Saru should should have built up, even if we don't get to see it, there should be a trust already in the bridge crew with him. He should be able to trust other other crew on the bridge. And like I mean, Tilly's on the bridge, but she's like an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. um, Scientist. More. yeah a science officer or whatever right. so <clears throat> they're kind of the same thing when magic becomes tech sure. like at a certain point so um not to belay like the dissatisfaction i have too too much or not to be too on it but like i do really disliked this it made me very uncomfortable okay uh and i am not I am not okay with the writing direction. So yeah. And our, our on-air producer for this episode is about to pull the hook onto the stage and yank us off this topic. So we gotta, we gotta run. We gotta move yes. on to the next thing. What do we got next? <laughs> um, uh, Why do you guys so have to have real life plans on Saturdays? That, <laughs> geez, that's the, you're supposed to be just losers. I have two Thanksgivings. Around. Oh my God. Thanksgiving yep. was Thursday. Get it done. Uh, two families. Mm. Okay. All right. <laughs> What's next, Stag? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Saru gives Tilly a day to think about it. Then he exits the uh, the ready room, goes to the bridge, orders the jump to Navarre. Yep. Uh, makes a happy speech about how Navarre hasn't seen a Federation ship in the century. So let's remind them who we are and let us like honor them or something back them uh, into a corner quickly <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that i noted here is when discovery exits the star base and they go to prepare for the spore drive jump the nacelles reattach to yeah i saw that discovery. i was like why are they all why are they touching and, 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 and they, they go back out and so it makes me wonder was that just an aesthetic effect of the spore drive so that the nacelles went with it um, do the, is programmable matter only supposed to like, you can travel at warp with your nacelles detached, but the spore drive thing is weird. So we're going to reattach to make sure the whole ship comes with it. Um, yeah. I would like to, to see more of traveling, the traveling variations, you know, maybe at warp, the nacelles have to reattach and it's only when they're not at warp that you can be evasive and have the nacelles. Yeah. That's how I own. thought of it. When you want more evas evasive maneuverability, you detach the nacelles and you can get that kind of, I, I'm like, why isn't the star base where Vance is like the Federation headquarters, like dissecting discovery to figure out the spore drive and how it works because they then said they were going to they all of their 
their whole fleet is would be like op as shit <laughs> if so, they could get that well, first is understanding reasons. it then uh understanding it's one thing and then it's being able to reproduce it right um is, is so another me stamets is like well thousand years smart. Smart else. <laughs> no 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 there's two things here one we learned in season two ish that repeated travel through the mycelial network can be dangerous and they tried to figure out how to do it cleanly and discovery did Two, stamets had to genetically alter himself with tardigrade dna in order to be able to pilot the mycelial network so unless something has happened with the whole eugenics no no augmented humans law um that would be also illegal. So Stamets is technically illegal on two big counts. He's an augment and he time travels. You know, they a thousand years. Get over it. Right. And also, right. it had literally no effect on him. He's totally the same as he was not, pre- I don't know the details. Right? I don't know the details of that law other if than not to just no tra- genetic make everyone tardigrades. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing I want to say real quick about the, about the nacelles, I take that as they can they can attach them and detach them w- whenever they need to. It's like a, a vehicle if you are on regular road or if you, you hit the winter and you need to turn on your four wheel drive. It's kind of like that. It's just <laughs> what the what the needs call for. It, right? Is that okay? Do we need to have the nacelles attached for X Y Z need, or can we have them the uh, you know detached? It's it's. I want to see. Uh, I want to get stuck going uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, put, the, put the chains on the top and the cells. Silly. Execute evasive order toboggan. Uh, <laughs> one thing that's actually really cool here is I just thought of this. The the permanently detached nacelle thing could have been a natural outgrowth of what was multi-vector assault mode, where the ship would split into multiple pieces for an attack. Maybe they're like, hey, we could just apply this to like non-attack things and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the the sh- one thing I thought during that scene was, remember in Calypso, the short trek, the one that like showed us Discovery a thousand, thousand years, years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Discovery didn't have detachable nacelles. That Discovery looked totally normal. It didn't look like it'd been upgraded at all. I, well, I, because you know things change as they're programmable matter is programmable. Oh, they programmed it back. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe the whole thing about Saru being a shit captain oh, right now is going to explain why Discovery is abandoned in a thousand years. <laughs> um, I just the 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 mental gymnastics at this point for some of this writing is making me dizzy. Guys, guys, remember this is episode seven of a Star Trek series, just like Picard Nepenthe. This is your nostalgic feel-good episode before shit hits the fan and the I don't writing feel good. really takes a dumpster. This was my was... favorite episode of Discovery, oh, period. Hey. I know. I'm but... sorry. I'm not trying to shit on that, but like nostalgia. it's not nostalgic <sighs> at all. We didn't even get to go on Vulcan. Everything took place on Discovery. Bottom episode. Bottom episodes are tradition. Um okay, so Discovery pops in at Lagrange One of um, of Navarre, and a Lagrange Point is actually a real thing. It's a point of, between two gravitational bodies where you can just rest something, and the the, the gravity pull is the same. Uh, that's really funny because Vulcan or Navarre doesn't have any moons, so. On the screen, we see her pop up like right really close to the planet. But what other cosmic body is there to constitute the a Lagrange? The sun. There's and you have to be really, really far no. away. No, yeah. you don't. The Earth has Lagrange points that relate to our sun and they're used for satellites. Right, but they're not that close. 
No, but I mean, maybe the mass of Vulcan is different. And the Lagrange points that we use for our satellites are based on the moon, not the sun. Not all. We still use some for solar observatories that are based on the sun one. Right, but those are really far away. Mm. Those are like Venus orbits. Um, I like this. I like it when we get into This is beautiful. (laughs) Isn't the the Navarre sun um, a red giant? Or... um, it's a different. It's not the, the same kind You're of right. sun as You're right. ours. It, it's something different. I, I can't remember what, but anyway, sorry. I, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so nice. there's there's an incoming transmission. It's the president of, of Navarre. She shows up on the ship as a hologram. Um, after confirming that Discovery was able to bypass their long range detection with their super duper transportation drive, um, she addresses Burnham specifically as Discovery's special guest. Uh, Tarina hopes Ambassador Spock would be proud of what they achieved. Burnham brings up SB-19. Tarina says no. Saru pushes the issue. Tarina kindly says they can drop it, or we'll gladly see your spore drive in use as you leave our system. And kindly fuck off if you keep asking for it. <laughs> Hate it to see you go, most, but we love to watch you leave. It was the most <laughs> Vulcan statement. Yeah, it really was. It was, <laughs> yeah. that, it was that live long and prosper that Spock gave to the uh, Vulcan Science Institute <laughs> in 2009. Just yes. What are boundaries? Burnham doesn't know. She doesn't care. It's that, uh, no, we uh, don't want to do this. You're going to, because of <laughs> well, this ancient ritual, well, yeah, exactly. It's so Vulcan call and cat. It's such a Vulcan thing to do, it though. Totally right? like, is. Hey, the the Stone of Gaul uh, storyline had one of those crazy rituals out of nowhere too. Yeah. They come up with these every time. And it's one of those rituals oh where, like, you you make me have to do this. And you better be right because this is the ritual where, if if you're if you're not correct, then you are screwed. Like then everybody will know that 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 Spock's sister was a liar. Yeah, yes. they, and it's in typical. It's like I'm fine. I'll do this, but in order to get through it, I'm gonna have to express myself. <laughs> it's like three you ambassadors mean, from this planet just going mean, in on Michael. You mean to time. say she's gonna have to share her pain and gain strength from the sharing? Anyway, um, uh, with the Star Trek Five references, <laughs> this, this episode's a therapy episode. Let me have this. All right. Um, uh, okay, so she invokes the Decolum Cat, which means she has to defend her evidence against a quorum from the Navarre Science Institute. Success means access to the SB-19 records. Note that the Navarre Tricom badge is a is Romulan wings with an Idic symbol now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. And the wings still have two planets in them, and the third one might be Vulcan. So maybe because Remus is still there... Mm-mm. They did save the Remans. No, it, it's uh, not the planet. I mean, I'm, I think it's... Um, it's a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'll say it if I think of it. We got to keep Okay. Symbolic. That's what it was. Symbolic. The, the quorum beam wants a discovery and are taken to the location where the Tikalan Ket is being prepared. Uh, the president sticks behind to warn Burnham of the outcome. Should she not fulfill the obligations of the ritual? Um, she's told that she gets an arbiter, a member of the Kawat Malat, who will encourage them along the lines of the ritual. The president then leaves. The Kawat Malat representative arrives, and it's Gabby Burnham. They hug. Is this shoehorned? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I think- so that was one of the things that, that, that Burnham did when she first arrived. It was like any sign of mom, essentially, she tried to detect. Like, is there... I, I don't know. It's kind of shoehorned because Renzo, this was Vulcan, sho- but this was shoehorned so hard that my feet hurt after 
watching this episode. Like yeah, it just a shoehorn is fitting something into an, an inadequate space, right? So yeah. um I feel like this I felt was like I had my mouth open with a crowbar on like <laughs> Yeah. Here you go. Uh, so I I do think it it was shoehorned. Um it wasn't really given I feel like it's like, here's mom. She's going to come here, like stir the pot and then we'll never see her again. And, and that's not, not what that deserves. Yeah. It's not no, what that, per- that moment deserves. I don't know. I feel like it fits pretty well because we know that the mother got sent into the future. She thought she was going to Terra Elysium, which was the first thing that Burnham did. It was like, am I on Terra Elysium? Right? Like trying to figure out if she's on the same planet as her mom. So we know that she was going to end up here. Now, mm-hmm. whether they ran into each other or not, sure. There's some shoehorning there just to make it so you know, in a big galaxy, they ran into each other, and she just so happens to be on Vulcan. However, we know that uh, Gabby knows that Michael was raised by Vulcans, right? Like, she's been following her history. It's kind of a logical place for her to end up if she thinks that Michael's going to end up there, too. Mm, okay. As for joining the co-op a lot, that's just cool Picard It's for Well, it's yeah. absolutely in line with uh, her mom's character. I'll mm-hmm. say that like mm-hmm. her mom was Kwat Malat before Kwat Malat existed. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yep. I like, like it. as we see in the previous timeline, when they trap her in the red angel suit, man, she's brutal, like absolutely business only. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it fits her really well, at least. Yep. I got so. no grievance with her being in Kwat Malat. Nope. It was a cool reunion. You weren't. <laughs> what? Why is that? Did you do a Google search for shoehorn and that's the image that, that came no, out? No, that's, that's like a living dinosaur. It's just called the it's shoe a horn bill. bill. It's, oh. a shoe, it's a shoe bill. Uh, okay. A shoehorn is a piece of metal. Bills. It's a piece of metal you put in your shoe to put it on. Uh-huh. I know what not that is. Not a birdie. But, but this is much more dramatic than a piece of metal. Well, well it's fine then. I'll do it. Because it's a dinosaur. I know we're like totally off topic now. Hold up. Uh, Okay, so uh, Saru and Tarina discuss Discovery's arrival from the past. She's like, not everybody knows you guys are time travelers. Here's her shoehorn. Thanks, Watney. Um, She asks him what he makes of the future. He admits he's troubled, uh, but that he's committed to its core values. He tells her the Federation keenly felt the loss of Navarre and that he hopes diplomacy can resume. She tells him it would take more than one visit. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of issues. Um, he asks to hear about them. Uh, Gabby and Michael talk about the trials and how convicted Burnham is about learning the source of the burn and how SB19 would save the day. Gabby says Burnham's not going to convince them. Um, and, and the reason she's there is because the co-op a lot bind themselves to lost causes. Uh, to which I say, lost cause my ass. The last time we saw a co-op Malat bind themselves to a lost cause, they crashed a board or cube on a plot device. Um, it's like a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lost um, cause in the same way that Picard was a lost cause. It's right. really not. It, it's like it's like the stakes are against you. It's just yes. like a it's funny a quip to make someone like. Yeah, we're gonna need a we're gonna need a gif where Kawama lots like we bind ourselves to lost causes. St- straight up going to Jim Carrey going, so you're saying there's a, ch- there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very accurate. Um uh, Gabby explains that three members of the, the three members of the quorum are very different. They have very different agendas, and they're gonna take away what they pick and choose from any logical arguments. 
um, and that Gabby is there to push Burnham to the truth, not just the truth of her wants and needs, but the truth of herself, like very integral truth. Absolute candor. Um, she says, yeah, exactly. She says the quorum isn't going to do a thing if Burnham isn't honest, especially with herself. Um, Burnham kind of hand waves that and is like, we're just going to appeal to the Vulcan purist. He has to abide by logic, and I know how to logic, 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 logic. <laughs> um, Mom says, you're walking in there with a lot of... Expected. Yeah, she, she says, you're walking in there with a lot of blind spots, which I'm like, that's great, but I also have plot armor. <laughs> um, right, she's going to try to, <clears throat> excuse me, try to appeal to the the logical guy which i think even walking in that was probably uh, i don't like those odds btw i love to and we'll get into it when the quorum presumes okay trina and saru discuss the scarcity of dilithium they talk about how the federation is so big that the lithium was was starting to become scarce even before the burn that's why they were investigating this transportation alternative that that's 19. yeah um uh, she says, you know, in the in its in the Federation's desire to serve the many, they forgot about the needs of the few. Saru reminds her that's a Vulcan axiom. She says we've moved past maxims and proverbs in order to reunify with the Romulans. She said they learn when to not bring those up. I think that's actually really cool because even in rhetoric today, people can get hung up on maxims and proverbs and not really think about the issues at hand. Um, and we sort of meme our own maxims and proverbs to mm -hmm. mean things that may have been relevant at one point, but not now. Yes. Um, so I think that's a really cool saying. What is that there. called when someone uses like a pun or a like, well, that's the way things are. Hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I call it a dismissal. Um, but that's just me. Like, that's just dismissing Thought the terminating. Point cliche or something yeah um don't give me that ttc all terminating cliche i think that's actually really cool a platitude yeah. fuck me it's platitude? called a platitude yeah oh, okay vulcans uh, like platitudes anyway uh, yeah yeah but i yeah but i mean you know i just like to apply what what trina says there is you know, we had our platitudes and they weren't really working for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they ultimately don't. We, we had to stop and really analyze, do the needs of the many always outweigh the needs of the few? These, these, these Vulcan hyperbolistic platitudes that are like, yeah. this is always a thing and these will always be in their place. And they had to realize, no, wait, they, they don't always need to be that way. What they had to learn was that nuance is king, right? Like nuance, right. nuance is important. And so... Right. And that on. is absolutely critical to modern rhetoric today where social media and and people's feelings have caused us to polarize in ways that we have never really been before right so what do you think the allegory that they're trying to make is with the burn and with the dilithium scarcity beforehand do you think that they're trying to make it some equivalent to like um running out of oil like mm -hmm. i could see that, that. again like because running out that of oil was... and then you come up with crazy nuclear ideas and then you obliviate yourself I, with nuclear I, explosions or something i'm taking it I'm, t I'm still taking it as a very i don't know maybe a muted climate change metaphor mm -hmm. okay we, knew, we know what's going on it's happening we're trying to investigate alternatives some of those alternatives may not be so great for us but there's going to be the absolute tipping point where we don't have a choice anymore and i think that tipping point is the burn that i lithium went 
boom, and with no choices. Well, we had a, we had a discussion where we tried to relate the burn to present day, and we came up with it because it's a uh, something that's consumable because dilithium was consumable, and it was the uh, the, the point uh, for propulsion, and we related it to oh. uh, to oil, the gasoline. But but then Dag brought up another good point: if the CO two levels you know got to a point where uh, engines couldn't ignite that fuel and combust. Yeah, we said that, that in be... our last one. I, yeah. I think it's, it has definitely has something to do with like postmodernism, but maybe we should keep going. One small bit though, just to point <laughs> out before we go on, the original plot line in TNG where they talked about like running subspace thin essentially and they had to like go through or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. force of nature. That was a direct reference to to climate change and to, and to the ozone layer disaster. Both of us, right? Feature facing with this climate yeah, change. Yeah, it was. Far. It was real forceful there. Yeah, I think that this might be something different. I think this is just like plastic or like hydrocarbon usage, not necessarily just it, for fuel. It could very yeah. well not be a specific metaphor. It could be just a a reference to finding your balance, your your homeostasis point in an ecology. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and dilithium in, in the Federation was that balance. They grew too big, they went out of balance, and suddenly, boom. Um, but I know we're going to figure out that the boom was actually some form of malicious cause, and we're all been duped for the last hundred years. But we'll figure that out. That's what my money's on. In the, in the next three episodes. Well, because Michael Burnham wasn't around to save the day. <sighs> so. If only we'd have landed a hundred years earlier. Yep. Um, <laughs> and you damn well know that is true. That's exactly what would happen. So, so right. this is this is one of the two longest sequences in the show. Scene fourteen. Uh, the Decalin cat begins with a chime. Burnham addresses everybody nicely. Thinks she owns the place. Then gets up interrupted with a motion for dismissal. Takir's like Takir's like we already reviewed your shit. I motion we dismiss. Takir. Gave me so many Tuvok vibes. Yes. I was in love. Yeah, the year was totally Tuvok. It was yeah. great. Um, Michael points out that she's proven that the Navarre wasn't the source of the burn. Um, the Romulan uh, quorum member, I can't remember his name, is like, how long have you known? This would have saved lives. Michael no reminds, uh, thank you. Michael reminds everyone that she only got these evidence a couple of days ago. And we came right here. Right, and and the Vulcans say her evidence is insignificant compared to their own data. Michael's like, "Why aren't you going to share it then?" Um, Shira She's, says, "Here is right though. It's such a small sample size. Three right. points. Three data, points. Right. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a two-dimensional cross section of a three-dimensional area, and without us, without knowing which way the source is, we we can't. Yeah. Um, but anyway. it already points towards." the possibility of exonerating Vulcan. And that's the whole thing is if it, if it could, and I, I mentioned this earlier in our recording, if they have the chance to possibly exonerate Vulcan, why aren't they going for it as opposed to like, because what, what Vulcans is it that they bury things, right? Vulcans bury things. They bury their emotions. They bury their concerns. They buried Surak for generations, right? Yes. Here they think they've gotten past the SB 19 destroying the transportation of the galaxy. They think they're finally past it. Now somebody wants to talk about it again. No, no, no. We don't talk about that anymore. Well, so. but if you're accused of a crime, let, let's say you're you're accused of a crime, you have, and everyone's blaming you for a thing, and you're sitting on this flash drive of info that would completely exonerate you, but would make it 
worse could be but they don't but it may not even do that yet right like they don't know they don't think it does they think that they've had a hundred years of science backing up that it was us they don't they don't think that this is enough right so they're going to be like let's just not talk about this it's bad enough that you brought it up here this is terrible just don't talk about this let this this is the past let it be the past right so, well, and we can't trust the federation because you forced us to do it anyways but no they they have info they have they are sitting on info that uh, they're not sitting on the right info well, but I thought I thought SB nineteen. I thought they know that SB nineteen says that they didn't do nope. it. But they're not we don't have all because... the cards. We need to remember that discovery storytelling is totally nonlinear. Right. This data could actually be falsified. It could be twisted. Um, you could have colluders. That guy Takir could have been in collusion with the mm -hmm. whole thing that happened 120 years ago. So we don't have all the cards. And we, I, again, I'm saying like we need to trust the writers, but so far they're well, not really helping us out. They were said they were like you know grave political ramifications so there's yeah. info that they are that right. they have that says okay this info getting out <clears throat> is not worth the chance of exonerating I don't, us as the cause so what could be so bad that they would continue taking the blame for whatever the, this information the federation is. I think it could literally just be as bad as talking about this brings up the schisms right remember the Romans wanted to say the Vulcans wanted to oh right? for sure talking about it brings that back up and they're already afraid, right? He talks about how there's unrest in the Romulan areas and how mm -hmm. they have to put all this money into the Romulo Vulcan areas, right? So shut up, let's fix our problems first. Maybe in 600 years, my grandkids can have this conversation, right? right yeah, because the, right the Romulan corn, Romulan corn guy, you know, was pretty much like, okay, well, if you're not gonna give it to her, I will. So there was, there's, there was division clear. there and then one person kind of right. playing the middle, like, okay, you know, it's we just need to the think Federation coming in again and putting their fingers in our pie and fucking things up. <laughs> and, and we know that the president of Navarre, like straight up said, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This yeah. was not, there was a long list of mm -hmm. things that that the Federation had done. And this was what caused it. So, I mean, there's like bad blood for yes. real. So the whole, this is obviously going to stir shit up, but you know, Michael will get through it as she does. Mm -hmm. Well, she'll try. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of infighting. Takira is serious about how badly run the other areas of Navarre are, um, and that releasing the SB19 data can only inflame the situations. Uh, there is no consensus, however, in the quorum on Takir's dismissal, so Mama Burnham moves for an adjournment to get some time. Uh, we flip over to engineering where Tilly approaches Stamets and tells him about Saru's request that she, she become acting XO. Um, Stamets' double take is breakneck worthy. Um, <laughs> he is yeah. astonished and, and not confident. He says the notion of taking orders from her is deeply, deeply weird and somewhat disturbing. Um, he didn't get they, to finish his thought. He definitely didn't get to finish. He had did not. To say. He did not. I, they, they said they, they get interrupted by Awosakun, who's asking about calculations for the jump back. He tells you know her to tell Detmer to hold her horses until he leaves. We go back to um, a sidebar with uh, Gabrielle and Michael. Um, they're talking about the you know, the ritual, Michael tries to make an argument that her honesty is legit, which her mom is like, no, it ain't. Um, <laughs> and, and because Gabby has to live up to her oath to the co-op Malat, she tells Michael that she really can't be trusted because she's not telling them something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's what it boils down to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what your motives are as long as we can trust that that's what your motives are. 
We're right. Um, yep. Which is where I start to think like maybe this whole thing is theatrical. I'm not sure. Uh, Burnham. It's definitely theatrical, right? The whole scene where the mother starts like, hey, you, you need to get your captain and she got killed. Hey, you did this. Hey, you did that. Hey, you did this. All these things were things that, you know, the Vulcan members of the quorum knew, but weren't arguing yet. So instead the mother just dragged things out and in a way that Michael would knew to respond she, to. She laid Michael under the bus. I yeah. mean, she, she was so far but, under, like she could check the oil, to, you know, take the pan out of it. And it, that was, perfect. that was rough. Oh yeah. 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 And, and was, Michael's looking at her like, what the fuck are you doing? Michael but, caught on though. Like she said, like, I figured what you were doing, but man, that was still rough. Yeah. Sometimes we, you got to beat the truth out of people, you know? And I, I think, I think that, had she not done that, someone, either someone in the in the room or one of the quorum members was sitting, waiting to zing her with what she said. And had she not said it, then she would have uh, just deep, deep sixed her case. So I, I don't know. Or it was just a, let's just be cautious and get all this out so that you're not blindsided. It's, it's kind of like if you're, if you're on trial, um, you know, it's, it's worse if the prosecutor drags it out of you, you look more guilty than if you discovery. You know, to just, Oh, that's funny. So in trial, there's a process called discovery, right? Yes. Where you mm -hmm. have to lay out all of your evidence and you have to show the other side, all the evidence that you have, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. that they can be prepared for it ironically it's named discovery just like the show so that's probably part of the pun that they're making here for it but that's essentially what the co-op Moat lady did here gabrielle did she just laid out all the evidence that the other side has against her and gave her a chance to respond that's right. even worse when the prosecutor's your mother oh, that you yeah. haven't seen well, no, your whole life i, th I think I, I think i said I, I said it wrong her, her mother is her defense lawyer but you know you're you're your lawyer is going to tell you, tell me everything, tell me the truth, because I can't defend you if you're not being honest with me. And that, that's right. You don't want the guy representing you or the person representing you to get, to get dinged or to get smoked in, in court because <clears throat> you hold something back or, or don't reveal something that's, that's well, key. So that's what she's doing is making sure like, like, listen, you are going to be honest if I have to beat it out of you or not. Isn't evidence that isn't presented during discovery and admissible in court they have to make a special motion to get it to be admissible but yeah it's generally inadmissible but you can if it's new evidence something that was newly found you can bring it oh that's what i mean is like if you knew something had happened or you had evidence prior to discovery and you didn't bring that then oh it's actually oh. unethical so if you find exculpatory evidence, so let's say you're the prosecutor, right? You're prosecuting somebody for doing something bad. And in your process, you uh, find evidence that they did something that they didn't do it. And if you don't include that in discovery, if you don't provide that to the defense, you're, there are like serious issues for doing so. Not oh, to say yeah. it doesn't happen, but it's still an, like, an ethical violation not to provide that to the defense. Right. And that's the whole point of this whole quorum is like, you're not giving us everything and we're not going to partner with you. Right. If you don't do it. Let's not try to compare this quorum to uh, a thousand-year-old American judicial system. Well, the writers live in the context of that system. That's so. true. And the fact true. that it's actually called discovery, I don't think is an accident. Right, like the process is called discovery. I don't. It's think pretty that's cool. Accidental. I yeah. mean, it's cool. I, I, 
I'm not one that's like, I liked the lower decks episode with the trial because it was in the way of like the Canterbury, like tales where you like look in the past, but this was mostly like just talky, talky, talky. And so for me, it's like, I love in trial episodes. <laughs> I've loved every single one I've ever gotten in Trek. I like the ones in other shows. The one in Farscape was amazing with the planet of warriors. Every show that does alien trial episodes, mm-hmm. I am here for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's always some process that you're not aware of that's going to bite you in the ass. So yeah. let's let's jump into uh, the longest scene of the show. Um, Burnham uh, goes back into um, they go back into the Tikal and Tet. Um, Burnham says, just reasserts, I presented the right evidence, but I'm also kind of unsure that it's going to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Takir asks why she doesn't believe them when they say, we've already analyzed it and we are the cause. Uh, Shira asks her who she's asking for, the Federation or herself. She says for the Federation. Shira reminds the audience that the Federation was the cause of their guilt. How can they be sure that the Federation won't use the data unwisely? Gabrielle does a character assassination of Burnham, bringing up her insurrectionist activities and her sudden lack of confidence about where she belongs. Gabby uses it to ask why anyone should trust you if you don't know where you belong in the first place. Um, she even tells uh, Michael that you have a desire to insinuate, ins- or she has a desire to insinuate herself into certain matters of import. <laughs> Uh, which could just be the most one-line summary of the entire series. Look, that's, that's, uh, that's from it. the Battle of the Binary Stars to today. Um, well, the Battle of the Binary Stars. She tried to do things the Vulcan way. She should have used that as her defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she wouldn't have died if I hadn't tried the Vulcan way. I've been carrying my guilt for a thousand <laughs> years. Um, uh, Gabrielle. What do you think's worse, Vulcan guilt or Catholic guilt? Uh, well, we don't have time. I only have sure. experience with one. <laughs> you haven't met a Catholic Vulcan. Um, uh, so, Twice the so guilt and all the persecution. <laughs> <laughs> they have it out in front of everybody. Um, Michael brings up her purpose and place and successes regarding control. She makes the point that we can be imperfect and still live up to the Federation's highest yep, ideals. That's true. And, and Gabrielle says, well, I mean, if that's what you believe, why are you struggling with where you belong? Michael mm-hmm. admits that she is afraid that if she stays, she'll hurt people. Uh, it was the worst kind of like your mom wanting to have it out with you about something she disagrees with you. And it's a trial at the same time. So you're like having to deal with your family. personal bullshit. Yeah. Your personal BS and with the political scientific stuff of the Colin cat, right? Like that was like very, very weird. Guys, like, what the- if... Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just like his, her, uh, her mom says, if that's what you believe, why are you struggling with belonging? But that completely ignores the previous point that Michael makes that you can be imperfect and still live up to the Federation's ideals. It's like she answered her own question. She wanted is Michael it, to realize it though. That's the thing. Is it me or was this whole confrontation uh, very fitting for when this episode was released, which was Thanksgiving? Oh, and yeah. Fights and yeah. Yeah. Nope, for okay. sure. Uh, right. This is the dinner table discussion. Yep. Uh, why aren't you getting married yet? Um, <laughs> Where are my grandkids? Oh, God. Let's, so let's not go there. This. We don't have that time. I, I know I've made a bunch of Star Trek V references to Cybok, but what if Cybok's ethos and cult members were the were were like really aligned with Kowat Mulat? 
Mm-hmm. What if, what if that's why Cybot came back? What if he went and trained with the co-op a lot and was like, the Vulcan way is about hiding everything, and mm-hmm. we can have a better way. Honestly, and I feel I'll, like Cybot would have done a great job, like with reunification itself. I think he would have been great for it. Right, right. And what if that was his like pursuant task, and he kind of failed at it? But Spock realized in the end that maybe Cybot had a point. Um, I like it. Moving on. Um, the quorum is fractured at this point. The Vulcans don't want to wish, don't want to share anything. The Romulans are like, if you're not going to do it, we will. Uh, the other Romulan, uh, the Shira, who's the the head of the Romulo Vulcan faction, mm-hmm. um, is is sort of playing the middle. And and Naraj like just calls her out, like you look at you who are saying everything and nothing and trying to you know. There's a really good quote there. I didn't write it down. You can't you can't always play the middle. Um, Right. Because you're right. Saying everything and saying nothing. Um, Michael, you know, the audience stands up and there's a lot of arguing and infighting. And Michael suddenly realizes that her request alone could be damaging Navar's healing. Yeah, that's what we said uh, at the, and the beginning. Last thing, the mm-hmm. last thing she wants to do is undo Spock's legacy. So she stands up and she's like, I'm... Uh, I'm not going to, I'm actually realizing what's happening here. I'm not going to be a part of it. I rescind my request. Please be peace. Maybe we can figure this out later. I am, I'm going to continue looking for the source of the burn and I'm going to share all of my information with you to prove that it wasn't you. Um, you don't have to trust me, but I'm going to trust you. And then she drops her mic and leaves and everybody stands up. Well, did- yep. It's pretty good, yeah. I did like that part. Um, I was like, wow, she's backing up. She probably should because she's pushing this cracked society to the point of breaking. Right. Maybe There's... Michael Burnham is growing up a little. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that her actions have consequences. You yeah. have to know. You have to know when when to stop pushing. It's like if if you swear that your spouse ate your Chipotle leftovers and they're not admitting to it and it's getting heated, you just got to move on with life. You know? told you. Just go get more Chipotle. <laughs> right, just go get freaking more Chipotle, you know? Um, there's actually a really good exchange there between Michael and uh, President Tarina is, you know, President is like, you represent the Federation, but Spock left it. And Michael just cuts through that. It's like, it doesn't mean he didn't love the Federation. Mm-hmm. It just means, I'm going to extrapolate here. It just means that he couldn't do what he needed to do, what he felt he was obligated to do inside Federation regulations and stuff. Correct. Like yeah. Um, this is what we wanted to talk about. I think about how like it's never really been confirmed in canon that he left. Now, Remember the episode when they went to, they were looking for to see if he defected it to the Romulans initially, right? But when they found him there, he made it very clear he hadn't. So I guess they kind of like stuck with the whole notion that he left, but he hadn't defected. Right. But that's the whole thing about Spock is everyone's like, what's Spock doing? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Spock just does his own shit and everyone yeah. just assumes he's doing things like murdering people <laughs> as a young Spock in the previous yeah. time. Well, what, once they found out what he was doing, it was like, okay, we'll just leave you alone. Just wanted to see what you're up yeah. to. What, well, what were you doing? He was a Federation ambassador Vulcans. who took his title to Romulus and tried to do something he wasn't authorized to do. Sounds yep. a lot like Michael, doesn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, she wa- she leaves. She goes to her quarters. Gabby comes to her, tells her, uh, you know, they talk about trust. They talk about how that when the president of Navarre finally saw Michael reveal her truth to everybody, that she decided that Michael and maybe the Federation could be trusted with this SB19 data. So she hands her a data card 
Uh, Gabrielle talks about and asks, you know, I want, she wonders, as Gabrielle says, Trina says, she wondered how much of Spock was influenced mm. by Michael. And that sort of takes us back to that flashback that happened earlier where mm. Michael says, people will reach for you, let them. Um, and it just, you know, it's an interesting addition to his own conviction there. Um, uh, Michael is worried that Gabby's going to leave. Gabby says, well, I, I have to leave. You're not a lost cause anymore. And totally uh, arbitrary. He also gets that mom moment where she's like, I finally get to tell you, you always know where I'll be. Um, Tilly goes to engineering. The main bridge crew is there telling her to say yes to Saru's request and explain why. Uh, Michael shows up at the moment is like, and you can assign somebody to help me unlock all this SB19 data. Um, did I miss the have... say yes moment? Yeah. Did, yeah, I, did miss I miss that say cool yes. say yes moment? <laughs> Dang. Um, they have a little heart to heart where Michael sort of reinforces her and says, you know, I'll lead me. I will follow. Um, I have a little note here. I'm like, I know this is like a really shallow point, but can we start a Michael cry counter per episode? Um, but what? I did read a, real, a Michael cry counter. Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. But but I also think that that's petty of me. I did read I an mean, article talking about- I got choked up three times that episode. There were three <laughs> scenes where I was like, <gasps> oh. There were some, <laughs> yeah, you're them, right. So. There are really some really good heartfelt moments. Yeah. They're doing a really good job of punching uh, the, the coronary there. But um, I also read an article about how Discovery might be the most emotionally intelligent show because of all this demonstration of feeling. Every recent, every other series of Star Trek is, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, Butt heads through this or be diplomatic through this and i think mm -hmm. there is there is definitely relevance today to being emotional through um, through moments through i think moments. that this this episode shows that emotional intelligence is absolutely vital to ensuring success and michael knew when to stop because she could see what was happening yes. right. to the quorum so and, and this is absolutely absolutely an emotionally intelligent show. And in yep. that moment, Michael demonstrates what Tarina said about giving up platitudes and maxims. The Federation could benefit from this information, but the few, their needs are more important right now. I'll allow it. She she gives those needs. She she gives up her conviction to help the Federation in favor of Navarre. Um Saru has a scene where uh, he makes more diplomatic overtures to the president of Navarre. She says she'd like that. They LLAP and she bounces home. Um, I love the Aurora around Navarre. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, we flash back to Michael and Book. Um, they're looking at the Borealis and Michael confirms that, yeah, she actually does belong on Discovery. Uh, book reinforces what he called her at the beginning of the series, a true believer. Um, and then book tells Michael that she feels like home. And I think that's really cool. We zoom out as discovery departs Navarre. Now, Watney, wasn't that last line romantic? Come on. What was it? Oh, she feels like home. Sure. No, he said she feels <laughs> like home. Dead pet. Yep. <laughs> Hey, you know what? A lot of cold is nice. me. I feel like you feel cool like home. And that, that's touching. I, like <laughs> I felt I felt represented there. You guys, cold as ice. I. <sighs> it would mean more if it meant more. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, maybe we'll get more out of it. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. But as of now, shoehorned relationship it is to me. <laughs> I love the word shoehorned. It's a word. 
would you tell our listeners and viewers where they can find us if they I have sure gripes about what we talked about this episode? Well, if you have gripes, go to Twitter because Dag runs that. <laughs> <laughs> Under the bus. Um, yeah. me. <laughs> uh, if you want to talk to us online, twitter.com slash beyond truck pod. So just at beyond truck podcast, you can find us there. Dag is super active on our Twitter. We also have an Instagram at beyond truck podcast and a Facebook, facebook.com slash beyond truck productions. And if you would like to support us online, you can find us at patreon.com slash beyond truck. We would love your support there. Um, we have some cool tiers. Um, and I want to give a special shout out to Stephanie Baker and Jim Cook, uh, Patreon and Anchor donators, as well as John from Cygnus-X1.net, who provides the stills um, that we use for our videos. He, he, he took uh, Thanksgiving, <coughs> excuse me, Thanksgiving off. Yeah, right. he did, but he still okay. helps us out. <clears throat> yeah, John, John, you're great. Hope you got a lot of good turkey. It's we love you. On. Yep. Beautiful. Yep. Yep. All That's right. great. Stephanie, love you. Thank you. And uh, Jim as well. That's awesome. So uh, well, how about in a, in a minute, closing thoughts real quick. Uh, I just want to thank all the listeners and viewers for joining us as we leapt through the mycelial network of this episode in record time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Saturday morning and we all have some family stuff to do. So we had to really uh, push it, but we hope that we've given you some really good thoughts and interesting uh, tidbits about this episode. Would you say we had to shoehorn it? Yeah. Um, listeners, we're so thankful <laughs> for you and um, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. Thanksgiving to all. Uh, it's just this is my favorite discovery episode of the show so far. This has definitely been all great. Right. I really we quite would. enjoyed it. Trial I mean, episodes. No oh, trial yeah. episodes. Trial yeah. episodes are the yeah. secret to my heart. Yeah. It was a cool flip because instead of bringing the Vulcans and Romulans together, the Vulcans and Romulans are trying to figure it out, and now it's trying to bring them and the Federation back together. So here's what I like about this episode and so far with with this season is uh, it really feels more episodic it's episodic with mm -hmm. serialized undertones it kind of feels like a quest they have to do this piece to then get to this piece then then do that part so you really think about it we're, we're getting that that episodic kind of semi bottle episode stuff because they have to build these pieces to get to the the ultimate goal so it really it's it's like doing a quest You've, you've got to do these steps, gather the herbs, and then talk to the medicine man, and then kill the ogre, and then, you know, get, get the thing. So I, I like it. I like that style that they're, that they're doing here. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And you. yeah, let's all go to our family stuff. Be safe, live long and prosper, and eat all the turkey. Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile. <laughs>